right. Well, you ready to hear the word of God today? So we're finishing up this series we've been in for over a month now called uh, The Art of Neighboring. And the idea has been for us to understand what Jesus was very serious when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. How many know he's serious about that? Now, it's not this thing where you got to love me. What is it? You get to love me. Why? Because he showed his love for you by going to the cross. What a great demonstration of his love for you. And what he's saying is, I want to be in relationship with you. How many of you know God wants a relationship with you? Point to your neighbor and say, he wants one with you. Tell him. And then, but he didn't stop there because he knew that we would need each other, Right? He knew that we would need people around us doing life together. And so what did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And so what we've been doing in this series is say, you know what? We can make it, we can turn it into this metaphor of, well, who's my neighbor? And and just almost to the point where we never lived it out. And so our challenge has been over the last month, how about loving your literal neighbor? In other words, the people who live to your right, the people who live to your left, who live in front of you, behind you, above you. If you're in an apartment complex, above you, beneath you, beside you, all around. We're we're saying, this is what we're saying, let's live this great commandment out in our literal neighborhoods. And that's what we've been talking about. Now, we we said that there are some, some barriers, some challenges to loving our literal neighbor. One of them we said a few weeks ago was time. And you heard it said, Pastor, I just don't have enough time. Have you ever said that? Well, you, you know what? I don't, I'm not sure I believe that. Because we all have the same amount of time, right? And so we make decisions every day. We say yes to something and we say no to something, right? And so if we make loving our neighbor a priority, then what, what, what are we going to do? We're going to say no to some things so we can say yes to loving our neighbor. So really the, the, the excuse of I don't have enough time doesn't really fly very well, does it? So what, we, what do we do? Let's sit down and let's look at our priorities and let's realign them and, and start making loving our neighbor a value. Why is it a value? Because Jesus said it's a value, amen? And so we, we talked about that. Last week, I challenged fathers. I said, hey, look, if we're going to love our neighbors, why not teach our kids to do the same thing? Why not model what it looks like to love our little neighbors in front of our kids, to get them involved in the process, to to say, hey, we're going to bake some cookies for our neighbor, and we're going to go take them to them, or we're going to plan a block party together so that we can engage and learn our neighbors and get acquainted with them. And so the challenge for us as fathers is to to lead the way in loving our neighbors. And so what I want to do today in conclusion of this series is talk to you about another barrier. We've already said time's a barrier. There's another barrier to the art of neighboring. Can anybody guess what you might think the other other barrier might be? I heard something. What was it? Ourselves? Is that what we said? I I heard the word. I heard fear. Fear is a barrier. To us loving our literal neighbors. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about overcoming this fear. And the reason I think that it's important for us to do this. Because 
Fear doesn't just show up in, in certain places. It can show up in all of your life, right? It can, it, it, listen to me, it can literally paralyze you from fulfilling God's purpose for you. Amen? And so what I want to do is I want us to meet this head on. Let's tackle this idea of fear because truthfully, God wants you loving your neighbors. And it starts with this vision that God has for your life, that Christ has, John 10, 10. And here's what it says. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's, that's the enemy strategy for you today. But the good news is, the last part of the strategy is, of Jesus' strategy is, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And so what we say is, when we live out the great commandment, when we live, love God and we love people, that is the essence of full life in Christ. Are you with me so far? But my question is, I've, we've been declaring this for a few years now that, that we want people, we, we, we know that God's vision is for you to live fully alive in Christ. What's keeping you, you can ask yourself this question, what's keeping you from experiencing full life in Christ? Is it unbelief? Maybe you say to yourself, you know what, I don't know, I don't truly know or feel like God wants me to live a full life. Because, and here's the reason, because things have gone so bad for me. Can anybody testify? Anybody had any hard times lately? Over the last year, everybody has experienced some challenging times. Can I get an amen? And so it's, it's easy for us to buy into the lie that we can't live a full life in Christ because of the circumstances that we see. But can I tell you, I'm not talking about, when I talk about full life, and, and Jesus' vision wasn't, was, okay, when you have full life, your life's free of problems. That's not what Jesus said. What did he say? As a matter of fact, in John 16, he says, in the world, you're going to have trouble. Well, that's good news. But, but you, didn't finish the, you didn't finish the verse. What, what did he say? But be of good cheer. Why? Because I have overcome the world. Guess what? Even though you're facing circumstances, there's a God who's in control who has your life in his hands. And so the essence of full life isn't uh, free of problems and worries and, and all of that kind of stuff. No, it actually, in the middle of those things, God wants you to live fully alive. When there's stress, when there's, when there's anxiety, when, again, like I said earlier, when life's pressing on you, can you truly say, I'm living a full life and believe it? So the essence of what we're, do, we're talking about in the art of neighboring is, we're going to live this full life out in front of people, okay? Not only our families, but our, our true neighbors. And so I want to ask you a question. How you guys, those of you that have been in this series with me, we got these cards, right? We call it a block map. And if you didn't get one, you can join in here because you're gonna, in a minute I'm going to tell you that this isn't just something we're doing just a, for just a little while, right, while we're doing a, a message series. No, this is a lifestyle. So there's cards out on the, out on the guest services, there may be some on this back table, and it looks like a, a tic-tac-toe board, right, or a bingo card. And what we're asking you to do is, your, your name's in the middle where you live, and then all around you, we're asking you to learn the names of your neighbors and write it in, okay? So if you've not already done that, you can get one today. But those of you that's already got one, are you taking those next steps of learning your neighbors' names? I've told you the story about my neighbor, the one next door, and 
I haven't seen him since that day that I talked to him because he never comes out of his house. So I guess my next step is going to be, hey, man, you know, because we, listen, the idea here is proactivity, okay? We're not going to be stalkers, all right? I'm not asking you to be a stalker to your neighbor. But I am asking you or, or challenging you to take a step. That's why we kind of, this, I mean, we made it real easy. Go learn their name. How simple is that? And so you learn their name, and then you begin taking next steps where you have conversations with them. And so I just want to know how you're doing. Continue that because when you fill out the, the block map, you're taking a step. You're, you're showing God. You're saying to God, I'm serious about this, okay? And so if you're afraid, how many, how many may be a little bit afraid of going and talking to your neighbors? I got to see some hands going up. It's okay. I've been afraid, right? Why are we afraid? A number of reasons. I heard it, and I'm going to talk about that. I heard it somewhere. Somebody said rejection. That's the, that, I would say that's probably the number one reason, right? And so, can I tell you, and you've probably heard this before, the word fear, there's an acronym, right? Anybody know what it is? False evidence appearing real. So most of the time when you're afraid of something, it seems really real to you. But in reality, it's not that big of a deal, right? Yeah, right, pastor. So for us, we've got to do something to overcome that false sense of whatever's going on, right? And so Let's talk about some of these fears. And somebody mentioned it earlier, the fear of rejection. That's the number one fear, I believe. If you step out and you try to make a connection with the people, there's always that challenge or that risk that it's not going to be reciprocated, that they're not going to receive it, right? Anybody been there? Fear of being rejected. And they may do that. It may be a reality that, that somebody, when you go to talk to them, they act uninterested, they don't want to have anything to do with you. It's okay. Because relationships are always risky. Would you agree? And so for you to take that step, you're showing God, I'm willing to take a risk on this relationship. Because if I, if I let fear of rejection keep me from having the conversation, there's a chance there's a, there's a good chance that this person needs connection. There's a good chance that this person's lonely and they're just wishing for somebody to come and connect with them, especially coming out of COVID when we've been isolated so much. And so here's what I would say. Step out, overcome the fear of rejection, and take a risk because you never know if that person could be, become the best friend you've ever had. You ever thought about that? And so this risk that you take, can I tell you, it's worth it. How many of you believe it's worth it? To take a risk in loving your neighbor. Because these meaningful relationships that you can, that you can establish with people can be lifelong relationships that really maybe even could alter your life. So the question is, will you take that step? Will you? 
Some of you already have. It's cool. I had some people come in today and say, Pastor, we're following it. We got some people here with us today. I love that. Because this is, all of these messages are, all, are really practical. Let's apply this. Let's not just say, okay, yeah, Pastor, I hear you. And then go out and not do anything about it. All right? So fear of rejection is, I would say, the number one thing. And so if you take the risk and step out, the relationship, it may get messy. Anybody ever been in messy relationships? Is there, not, is there a relationship that's not messy? But there's such a reward to relationships if you take the risk. And so, why is it rewarding? Why are relationships so rewarding? First of all, God created you relational, right? He created you for that kind of, of fellowship with other people. And so, when you engage in that, when you make it a priority, there's a reward that comes with it. I think the biggest thing is that if you take this step, you'll start watching as the Holy Spirit does a work in the other person. The transformation, the potential of transformation in the person that you are, are spending time with, you're developing the relationship with, is endless. And can you imagine with me, somebody on a screen or standing up, in here, up here and saying, you know what? My neighbor reached out to me and took a risk and learned my name. And then we developed a relationship. And now, not only do I have a great friend, but I have a great Savior. You see the potential? And it can start with simply walking up to somebody and say, Hey, I'm Lance. Nice to meet you. What are we doing? We're giving the Holy Spirit an opportunity to work. Amen? And when, when, we, when we show that we're serious about this, that we're going to overcome this fear of rejection, and we step out, the Holy Spirit will step in. Amen? That's good preaching, Pastor. So the number one fear is the fear of rejection, and it can be overcome. Amen? Number two. I mentioned this a couple weeks, but I'm going to hit it again. Fear that you won't have time. Are you afraid you're not just not going to be able to make the time? Anybody afraid that, of that? If you're afraid that you won't have time, you've got to do something to, take, to, again, take that step to overcome that barrier of, of time. What do you do? Simply sit down with your calendar, a notebook, and say, you know what? Here's what I value the most. What do you value? Hopefully you value relationships, right? That's what the, the great commandment's all about. So if I value relationships, what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit down and say, okay, I value living out the great commandment, and therefore I'm going to reach out to my neighbor because it's a value. Can I tell you that, that living the great commandment must be a value for every, for every Christian? Really, Pastor? Really. And the beauty of this is, when you start aligning your life to priorities and values, purpose is there, right? Life has meaning. 
There's something I'm, I'm accomplishing. I'm not just wandering through life with no aim or no purpose. No, when I understand I'm, I'm here to love God and I'm here to love people, purpose emerges. And as I said last week, you're going to have to develop some new habits. There's going to be some discipline involved in this, right? You're going to have to develop some new habits. What do habits lead to? Rhythms, right? A rhythm to life. You know, Jesus was a perfect example of rhythm, right? What did he do? The Bible says multiple times in the New Testament, in the Gospels, that Jesus would get away and he would pray. Why was he doing that? Because he understood the value of the great commandment. He's modeling for us what it means to love God, right? And so what does he do? He, his rhythm was, let me minister for a little while. Let me tell people about the gospel. And then I'm going to steal away and get refreshed. And I'm going to meet with God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest in my relationship with God so that when I come back out of that rhythm, of that, that pattern, that habit, I'm going to have something to give. Because can I tell you, you can't give what you don't have. So can I say this as your pastor? If you're neglecting your time with God, you got nothing to give. So Jesus gave us a pattern for rhythms. There was a rhythm of prayer, of getting along with God, being refilled, right? And then he would step out into moments, moments and moments of connecting with people, Right? Jesus, listen to your pastor, Jesus was all about people, wasn't he? He loved to connect with people. Guess what? He made the rhythm of loving his neighbor a part of his rhythm, right? It's a habit of loving your neighbor. And we're going to read some stories in a second where you see firsthand the commitment that he had to loving his neighbor. And so we have this example of rhythm to follow of Jesus. He had this rhythm where it worked. He, pour, he would be filled, he would pour out. He'd get filled, he'd pour out. You, know, you see the rhythm? And the rhythm turned into a lifestyle where it wasn't, okay, on, on Monday, I'm going to love God. And on Tuesday, I'm going to love people. No, what was it? It was a part of who he was. It was in his DNA, right, to love God and love people. That means on a Tuesday morning, if he had an opportunity, he's going to love his neighbor somehow, right? Or on a, on a Friday night somewhere, he's going to love his neighbor. Hey, Y'all follow me? And so these rhythms that God is helping us create turn into lifestyles because the truth is, I get it. Okay, yeah, we're, 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 we're focusing our attention over the month of June on the art of neighboring. And a lot of you are, it's on your minds. But what happens at the end of July? You done forgot about the art of neighboring. My goal is to say, no, 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 this is not how this works. Just in the middle of the series, we're loving our neighbor. No, it's a lifestyle. It's from a habit to a rhythm to a lifestyle. Y'all with me? This is what God wants for us. You didn't come. Listen, God did not put you on this earth to build up wealth. To have cars and houses. Those things are okay. What did he put you on earth to do? Love God. Love people. That's why you're here. Until the day you die. That's your purpose. 
And so it can't be that we're focusing our attention on it just while we're doing the series on our neighbor. No, it needs to be something that God, the Holy Spirit, does in here where it becomes something we always do. Amen? Number three. Well, I've got a question for you before we move on. Here's the question. Do you live at a pace that is interruptible so there is time for those divine moments with your neighbor? Are you at a place where you, God can interrupt your day and say, you know what, I need you to go across the street and say hey to your neighbor? Or is it, I don't have time. I got to get the kids the ball. I got this. I got to cook dinner. I got to do... Are we putting ourselves in a position with our rhythms and our lifestyle where God could break in and say, hey, I need you for a second? If you remember, there's some New Testament examples. Peter's praying in in the book of Acts, and the Holy Spirit says, hey, this guy Cornelius, you're going to have an interaction with him. He needs Jesus, right? He loves God. And so he interrupted this his life, right? There's other, other examples in the Bible where men were interrupted by God because there was a purpose for them to do. They had a lifestyle, a rhythm in their lives. Amen? So number three, fear of what other people think about you. Anybody ever had that? And here's, here's, here's the thing. It's usually, y'all gonna, y'all lean in, It's usually the religious people. Right? So here's my question. When's the last time you made religious people uncomfortable by the people you hang out with? When's the last time you made religious people uncomfortable by the people you hang out with? Think about that one for a second. I love this because Jesus always set the example for us, right? And you know that he made it a point to hang out with some folks that were some shady folks. Let's just be honest. They were shady. Listen to me, folks. Listen to me. You can't get any more shady than a tax collector in that time. Amen? They were known for ripping people off. And they were hated by Israel because they were working for the Roman government, collecting taxes. And they're like, man, you're a traitor. That's, what they, that's how they were viewed. Amen? And so Matthew, you guys know Matthew, right? Anybody know who Matthew is? One of, one of Jesus' 12. Not only did he love Matthew, he chose him to be one of his inner circle. Isn't that, isn't that something? And so he called, let's just read it. Matthew chapter 9. Follow with me. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Now watch what happens. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Along with many, what is it? Tax collectors and other Shady folk. Jesus has made a decision to hang out with shady folk. Now watch what the religious people, how they respond, okay? Now this hits you, religious folk. You can forgive me, and then maybe God will touch your heart. Maybe you'll get... But when the Pharisees saw this, 
They ask his disciples, I love this, I love the way this translation reads it. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? Scum. Can anybody define scum? Can somebody help me define scum? What is that? You know what I think of? A, 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 a five-gallon barrel, bucket, with water that's been sitting out in the hot sun for like six weeks. What forms on the bottom of that? Scum. And so the view that these religious people have of the people that Jesus is hanging out with is they're scum. That's a problem, right? Watch what his response was. When Jesus heard this, he said what? Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this. I love this. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. What's, what's he saying to them? Look, you've gotten really good at religious interaction, right? Doing your sacrifices, doing your duty as a, as a, you know, as a believer, as a religious person. But you've left out something really important. You've left out mercy. Can I tell you, as I said last week, there's not a person in this room who doesn't need the grace of God. Who's not in deep need of the mercy of Jesus. Can I get an amen? I'll be the first one to raise my hand. I was a dirty, rotten, I was scum. Amen. The problem is, is we get a distorted view of people. Once we've been in Christ for a while, we tend to, to forget where we came from. So Jesus addresses, he said, look, man, you're already, you're already in Christ. You know, I love you, but these people need help. Amen? They need the, the grace that I can offer. They need the relationship that I can give them. That's what they need. And so, Jesus made it a, a point and proactively pursued those who were not in him. The people that gave him the hardest time were the, the religious folks. So here's, what I, here's, how, here's a takeaway from that. We have three choices in terms of loving our neighbors and engaging with people who probably don't know Jesus. Number one, we can curse the darkness. Anybody ever seen anybody curse the darkness? Those, do you know how I picture those people out there with the signs? There's a church in our country known, well known for, for hanging, putting up signs of hate. Really, that's what it is, is hate. You know, you're going, you know, you're going to hell and all that kind of stuff. Judgment on people, right? We can curse the darkness. We can hide, right? We can get in our little holy huddles. Or we can engage them with the love of Jesus. What do we choose? We choose the latter, right? We choose. Not to, listen, I'm not talking about compromise. Don't even read into that I'm talking about compromising. I'm just talking about engaging people with something that will transform them if we'll do it. That's what this is all about. 
And so, can I tell you this? It's foolish. It is foolish for us to think we can impact a culture if we're unwilling to engage them. Can I say that one more time? It is foolish for us to believe that we can impact a culture without engaging them. But the spirit behind how we engage them makes all the difference in the world. That's why the, the great commandment always has to be the filter, always has to be the motivation for why we do what we do. Does that help anybody? Because I'll say this. Places that are lit up don't need more light. Is that right? Where is the light needed the most? In dark places. Can I tell you there are people that live beside you, behind you, over you, beneath you that are living in darkness right now. And they need the light of Christ in their lives. It's the only thing they need. And that's what this is about. Shining light in dark places. If we turn the lights out in here, you couldn't see in front of your face. But if everybody in the room had their flashlights, what would happen? It wouldn't be dark anymore. And you can see how your impact and your impact and your impact contributes to the whole. Of pushing back the darkness in our lives. Amen? So the motivation has to be. I am motivated by the great commandment. I am motivated. I love this people. Look at, look at me. Look at this. If I can look at these people that I'm dealing with, my neighbors, and I can see them the way God sees them. How does God see them? He sees them created in his image. Right? That's how he saw you. Or he wouldn't have pursued you. And so he sees them creating it. And so if I, if I, maybe I pray a prayer, God, help me see the people. Help me see my neighbors the way you see them as worthy of this message, of this love. Because what he wants to do, he wants you to see them not for where they are right now, but for where they'll be. He wants us to see the potential in that person in that moment. Does that help anybody? And here's the thing, somebody did that for you. Somebody said, Tony is created in the image of God. He's loved by God. I'm going to love him too. Let me share with you this love. Amen. And now Tony's sitting here. Amen. Has anybody else had that same testimony? Somebody loved you enough, saw it into you. Not what you were, because at the moment you were messed up. Anybody, has anybody messed up before? I know some of you still messed up. That's okay. We're in progress, right? We're in pro but some of you are really, really messed up, and somebody saw past it. That's the beauty of, of the, when we do the out of darkness, when we go down to, to Atlanta and we talk to these ladies that are caught in the, in the sex trafficking industry. They don't see themselves as valuable or worthy, Right? What do we, why do we do that? Why do we hop in a van and travel across the city to tell a girl, to give her a rose, and to tell her she's loved by God? Why do we do that? Because we're seeing something in her she doesn't even see in herself. And the same is true. Listen, you don't have to travel to Atlanta to do that. You can travel next door, left, right, front, up and down. I'm telling you, these people need to hear this. Amen. So quit worrying 
about what people say about you. Amen? I got another story for you out of the book of Luke. Let's read it together. You probably recognize this story, but I want you to notice, again, the perspective of the religious folk, right, and how Jesus did it too. Watch this. Uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Are y'all playing tricks on me or what? Is it, is it going and up and off, off and on up here? We're good, okay. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain, watch what the, how the scripture says it. What does it say? Immoral. Guess what? She's a prostitute. All right? Scum. Y'all with me? Not literally, but. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Now, we, we, we read this a lot of times about this idea of extravagant worship and bringing our best. You know, that we, we talk about how valuable her alabaster box was, that it was worth a year's wages, and, and she poured it all out, didn't waste anything on that. And that's, that's a great way to look at this. But I want you to see it from a little bit different perspective now. She's a woman of ill repute, all right? When the Pharisee, watch this, who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Hmm. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus answered, go, go to the next one. Then Jesus told him the story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay. Notice that. Neither one of them could repay it. He paid a debt. We, could, we, we owed. We couldn't pay it, right? Neither, neither of them could repay it. He so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one who he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many. In other words, listen, Jesus knows everything you do, amen? You ain't hiding nothing from him. So this is the thing. Jesus never excused their sin, did he? He paid for it. That's what grace is, mercy is all about. Her sins have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. What's, what's, what's this? The response. If, if God's forgiven you of a lot, what's your response? I love you, God. With all my heart. Come on. With all my soul. With all my strength. Is anybody God rescued you, saved you from a lot? What's your posture? Thank you, Lord. I love you. 
This is what the great commandment is. I love him. Why? Because he first loved me. And he paid a high price for my sins. Amen. Mm. But a person who is forgiven little shows only with love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What a beautiful picture. First of all, what God can do in a life of a person, no matter where they are. When you look at somebody, your neighbor, a coworker, a friend, and you see the depths of their sin, and you almost say there's no hope for them. Where's that coming from? It's a lie of the enemy. No. This person is created in the image of God. There's a message of love they need to hear that will restore them and bring them back into fellowship with God. Amen. That's your story. That's my story. But I love it that Jesus makes it a point to teach this lesson to Simon. Look, Simon, you're tripping over the fact of who she is. You're missing the point. You're so wrapped up in your religion that you forget why I, I sent you. Right? And that's what happens with some people because they're, they're, when they're not engaging people that are outside the faith, we become real judgmental, we become real inward focused, and we forget where Christ has brought us. So what I'm telling you is, overcome this barrier of worrying about what people think about you. Amen? And just follow the heart of God. Now, I'm not telling you, I'm not giving you an excuse to go in there and do everything they're doing. This isn't that. Amen? But you have to engage them or they're not going to change. So he gets tripped up by this idea that she is a sinner, a, a prostitute. Chances are your neighbors are in some, the same situation. They're in some stuff they probably shouldn't be in, and they're hungry. They're hungry. They're hungry. Listen to me, folks. They're hungry for change. Some of them need to get out. They're, they're bound up. They're addicted. Amen. They need what you've got. If they call, if they call Jesus a publican and a sinner... The religious people are going to do the same to you. But it's okay, ain't it? Because you know why you're here. You know what God has you doing. So if we sum this all up, fear of rejection, fear of not having enough time, fear of what other people say, is there a remedy, a true remedy for fear? Is there a, room, a remedy for fear? Yes? Maybe? Can I tell you there is? 1 John chapter 4. Let's read this together. And as we live in God, I love this, our love grows more perfect. Can I tell you that you can grow in your love for Jesus? Amen? So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence how can we face a holy God with confidence on the day of judgment? 
because of Christ's finished work on the cross. You have been justified as if you've never sinned at all if you place your faith in Jesus today. So there's a confidence that you're in him, you're, in, you're, his, you're his kid. But watch what he says here. But we can face him, why? Because we live like Jesus in this world. When we're living like Jesus, guess what we're doing? Come on, help me. We're fulfilling the great commandment. We live like Jesus in this world. In other words, he's our example, right? And as we live in God, our love grows more. We, okay, we read that already. Go to 18. Such love has no what? Say it out loud. Such love has no? Because perfect love expels all fear. Some fear? What does all mean? All means all. What's the remedy for fear? The perfect love of Jesus. In other words, we're circling back around to the great commandment, aren't we? What's the remedy? Love. If you want to overcome the fear of rejection, receive the love of God. You know why? Because it doesn't matter what people say about you. You know who you are in Christ. You have an identity in Christ. Why? Because you know you're loved by God already. It doesn't matter what people say about you or how they resist you. You're already loved. Does that make sense to anybody? Perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced this perfect love. Folks, the remedy for your fear is love. Now, here's the thing. Guess who's responsible for love? The Holy Spirit. Remember last month, we, we preached seven weeks on the Holy Spirit, didn't we? And we said the conclusion that we came to was that the Holy Spirit came to empower you to be a witness, right? To share the love of Christ. And then we remember in Romans 5, it says the Holy Spirit, what does he do? He sheds the love of God abroad in our hearts. What did we sing earlier? We need a fresh wind, right? If the Holy Spirit has filled your heart, fear has to go. Come on, somebody. He, he is the X factor in this whole deal. The Holy Spirit baptizing you in his love, giving you the confidence, giving you the boldness to love your neighbor as yourself. Come on, somebody. If you want, if you want to overcome the fear of rejection, you want to overcome the fear of time, if you want to overcome the fear of what people think about you, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody. He's the one who's the difference maker in your life. And I get it. Some of you have been trying to do it on your own. You've been trying to think positively, and that's great. Yeah, thinking's real important, right? But if you'll depend on the Holy Spirit, this whole idea of loving your neighbor, the art of neighboring, becomes a rhythm, doesn't it? Because we begin to lean on the Holy Spirit. We begin to depend on Him for, as our source of everything. I got one more scripture I want to share with you. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Can y'all quote this with me? Everybody together. For God has not given us what? A spirit of fear, but of what? Power and of love. There it is. And of a can I tell you, folks, the biggest barrier to this is right between your ears. Your thinking. 
Your unbelief keeps you from living out this great commandment. And I'm here to tell you today, could it be, could it be that it's just the enemy's strategy to keep you unbelieving? Remember, the thief comes to steal, to kill, destroy. What's he trying to steal from you? He's trying to steal purpose from you. He's trying to rob you. But listen, folks, not only is he robbing you, he's robbing the people that you could impact. Because if he can keep you sidelined by fear and, and all of that, and you don't step out to your neighbor, guess what? He's going to try to rob that guy too. Y'all with me? That's his strategy. He does not want you in the game. He does not want you making an impact. He does not want you influencing people with the love of Christ. He wants you on the sidelines, paralyzed by fear. And I'm here to tell you, the Holy Spirit said, no, 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 no. I need you. How many of you feel that call that the Holy Spirit says, I need you? I need you. Come on, stand. Thank you for tuning in to our online broadcast here at Grow Church. We hope that you've heard something today that will strengthen and encourage you throughout the week. Make sure you tune in next week for our next broadcast. God bless.